Everyone, really glad to see you guys here today. Uh, really excited about Easter, and as you see upstairs, there's a lot of things up there. And when I was a kid, it seems like the eggs were hidden a little bit harder than that. I remember, I remember looking really, really hard for a long time and not finding all of them. But, uh, but I'd like this too. This would be like, this would be awesome if I was a kid. I just out there and just, it's just great to pick up a lot of eggs. Uh, we're really glad you guys decided to spend some time with us here today. And uh, today's Easter Sunday, and we're just celebrating just the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and just the huge difference that made in the world and the, and the opportunities that it really gives us. <clears throat> you know, over the last week, as I've been just thinking through last couple weeks, thinking through what it is I would share today, I came across a story that I wanted to share with you as we start off, and that is it's a, it's a true story about a... Uh, a lady whose son was in the original, the first Gulf War in 1991. And she's a seamstress. She worked in a garment factory. She was at her sewing machine and she was called, she was called from her sewing machine into the front office and she went in the front office and there were, there were two, uh, army personnel there. And as soon as she saw them, her heart sunk and she just knew what they were going to say. And she she walked up to him, and they they told her that her son, two hours before the ceasefire was signed, had been killed by a cluster bomb. He was a tank mechanic, and just devastated her. And and they said several things to her. They they really were giving her all kinds of condolences. But she said the only thing she could remember they said was that he's dead. That's all she could remember. And you know, there's something, you know, until you become a parent. You just really can't connect with what that could be like. And, uh, you know, as I read that story, my, my heart was was just resonating. Now, she had a lot of people. For a couple of days, a lot of people were just pouring into her life, her friends and her family. They're bringing her meals, helping her, trying to encourage her. But she just couldn't, she just could not get past what had happened. And then a couple of days later, she gets a phone call in the evening. And it says, hi, Mom. It's Clayton. And she goes, it can't be you, Clayton. You've been declared dead. And she's just like, she's just reeling and she's, she's wondering what's going on. And he says, no, mom, you know, actually I'm, oh, I'm okay. She said, I was hurt, but uh, it was just a mistake. I'm, I'm actually okay. And she's like, she just can't believe it. And she's afraid that someone's playing some horrible joke. And she goes, well, what did I, what did I call you when you were a little boy? And boy, he's racking his brains. And he said, and finally it came to him. He said, your little garbage disposal? <laughs> and she said, she said, that's right. You're him. And she's just, and then her, her, where she was at and the, the place she was at emotionally completely changed. And she was just completely filled with joy, as you can imagine. As I, as I, as I share some things this morning, just keep in mind that those emotions that she went through, those are really the emotions of Easter. Those are really the emotions of Easter. Sometimes it's hard to connect to the emotions of a historical event. But just know that, you know, for the people that were around, the people that were actually watching Easter unfold as they saw Jesus go to the cross, they were experiencing those very same things. And uh, so I want to talk just a little bit like what Jesus, what his intention, and then we'll move on to some other things I want to talk about. But, you know, during Jesus's ministry, uh, when he, before he was crucified, he continually poured his life into people. And he really wanted them to experience the life that God really had for them. And what he did is he, he really opened a door. 
he opened a door into a completely different kind of life that he re- that, that God really wants for us. And he, uh, in fact, one thing he said at the very beginning of his ministry in Mark 4, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. And what he meant was it's operating now. It's not something that's going to happen in the future. It's, it's actually something that's happening right now. And he was inviting people into the into God's kingdom and to really be a part of what God was actively doing in the world. And he really invited them in. And he, just this idea that Jesus really desired and God really desires us for enter into a different kind of life where we really handle life very differently and really enjoy life with him. And really this opportunity to enter into Jesus's instruction and his uh, teaching in such a way that over time we become much more like Jesus and can handle life the way he did. And Jesus would say things like in John 10, 10, he he would say, he would say that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Is that his idea, he said, I came that they would have some real life, some real, a full life, a life of real meaning and purpose. And then he would say things like, he would say things like in, in Matthew 13, he would say the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And a man found it, and in his joy, he covered it back up and sold everything he had and bought that field. You know, just, Jesus just knew that if we could just see what it would be like to live with God in his kingdom and really to moment by moment do life with him, nothing else would even compare. And so that's really what, what Jesus really wanted us to really experience. And then the disciples, the, people, the men and women that were following him and, following and really spending time with him, they began to see what Jesus meant as they actually lived with him and as they traveled with him. And as they saw and observed the way he lived in the kingdom, the way he really did his life, it really, they could really see that this was something really real to this. And it really felt like they were going somewhere. It felt like Jesus was really taking them somewhere and that he really was the Messiah and that he was the Son of God. And then he was arrested. And then he was condemned. And then he was crucified. You know, I've been thinking, I've been thinking, you know, what was, you know, Jesus went to the cross on a Friday and he was, he, he came back to life on Sunday. What was Saturday like? What was Saturday like to the disciples? You know, they, uh, they had seen Jesus die and they knew he was really dead. And for them, for them, it must have just been, it's over. Like, I, they were probably just really trying to process, you know, what is really going on here? There was one thing you see in the in the in the accounts of what happened is that there was no vigil outside the tomb, waiting for him to come out, because they weren't even thinking that way, and they just expected Jesus just to stay right where he'd been put, and their hopes their hopes are just really dashed, and they thought they were probably thinking through things like you know he said he was the Messiah, but then he was killed, and they were trying to trying to make sense of that, and then the the door that Jesus had opened so that they could see the life that God wanted. For them, it probably just seemed to close. That door just probably just seemed to close for them. And they're probably left with questions like, why did this happen? What, why did he have to die? And they, I'm sure they had many questions like that. So this morning, I'd like to look at two questions. And the questions are, why did Jesus have to die? And, and why does Easter really matter? Why did Jesus have to die? And why does Easter really matter? Now, there's a whole cast of characters that's around the event of Easter. And I wanted to, if you were to go to, if you were to go up to Judas and you asked him, why did Jesus have to die? He would say, he would probably say, because I betrayed him and I got him arrested. And 
you know, a lot of people will probably wonder, like, what was, Jesus, what was Judas up to? Why, why did he do this? Uh, with, why did he betray Jesus? And there's, there's a lot of folks that think that he may have been trying to just force Jesus' hand and trying to get him to really just prove who he was in a big scale. And he and a, a lot of other people just felt that Jesus was going to be, he's a Messiah, he was going to set up a rule on earth. And that he would, that's, what his, that's what his end goal was going to be, he's going to set up a kingdom on earth. So Judas... He, he, he led an arresting party to, where, to the garden where Jesus was going to be. Now, what's interesting is Jesus always went there with his disciples. And Jesus knew, Jesus knew that Judas knew that that's where he was going to be. And yet, even though he knew that, he knew that Judas was going to be betraying him, he actually showed up where he knew Judas would know he'd be. Now, that scene, when he, when he walks up and he brings this band of people up to arrest Jesus, I'd like to look at that just a minute. You look in John 18, it says this. It says, So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? So this whole group of people uh, that are coming against him, uh, they're going to come to arrest him. He says, Whom do you seek? They, say, they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. And so when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So, you know, what, what happened is, you know, Jesus, they walk up and Jesus says, uh, who are you looking for? And they go, we're looking for Jesus. And he goes, that's me. And when he says that, they all fall down to the ground. Now, I don't know about you. Who, do you, who does it sound like who's in charge at that moment? <laughs> I mean, if I was one of those guys, I went, uh, I think he's in charge. And they get back up. They get back up. And then it goes on. Uh, next slide, it says, therefore, he asked them again, whom do you seek? And I think this time they've said, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, Nazarene? Um, and he goes, he says, I told you I am he. So if you seek me, let these go their way. To fulfill the word which he spoke of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. See, Jesus was completely in charge at that scene of the arrest. And he allowed himself to be arrested. Now, what he also did is he protected the men that were there so that they could really get away. And so that's one thing that was happening. And so you look at Judas thought he was a deciding factor in this, but actually you find that Jesus was the deciding factor in his arrest. So then you go to, you go to uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, the one who presided over Jesus' trial. And you ask him, you know, why did Jesus die? And he would say probably because I condemned him for blasphemy. And, you know, after the arrest, they take Jesus to this council where Caiaphas, as the high priest, is leading it. And they bring all these false witnesses in because Jesus had done nothing wrong, but they wanted they wanted to condemn him because of the threat that he was to them. So he brings them in, and they bring all these witnesses. The problem is they were all making up things, charges against Jesus, but none of them lined up. And so they, they, were not, they, they weren't being effective at all, and it, it just wasn't coming together. And one thing you see is that Jesus kept silent. Jesus kept silent. And I was, you know, the week, the week prior to that, there were many times people came to Jesus and asked him questions. And he would answer them and people would go away and they'd say, that was the best answer I have ever heard in my life. And they would bring up hard issues and he, he, would, he would just entangle them. And they'd walk away going, wow, what an answer. And here he is in the midst of front, trumped up charges and yet he just stays quiet. We don't know this. I don't know this. But I have a feeling that he may have had to stay quiet so that he, he didn't get acquitted. Because I think he probably could have talked his way out of that. 
Um, so, eventually, the high priest just says, just tell us, are you the Christ, the Son of God? And Jesus intentionally puts his foot in the trap. And he says, yes, I am. And boy, he says, that's it. We don't need more witnesses. He's blaspheming. And they, and they condemned him. So if you look, if you talk to Caiaphas, he'd, he would think that he was really a deciding factor. But actually, Jesus was the deciding factor in that moment, in his, in his uh, condemnation. And then if you were to go to Pilate, go to Pilate and ask him, why did Jesus have to die? He would probably tell you, well, I was trying to prevent a riot. Uh, just trying to prevent a riot. You know, when, when, when they took Jesus from Caiaphas and they took him to Pilate, he stands before Pilate and Pilate asks him some questions. He answers a few of them, but he's just, he stays quiet there as well. And finally, Pilate says this. If you look at John uh, 19, it says, So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. If you think about what's really going on in that scene, you have Jesus, the creator of the universe, standing in front of a man who says he's in charge. Now that must have, you know, that must have seemed kind of interesting to Jesus. You know, it's kind of like if I walk up and a little kid tells me, you go do what I said. You know, I'm always, I always laugh at him. I may be kind to him, but a little kid's not going to boss me around. With him, what Jesus did is he, he placed himself under Pilate's authority. He says, you know what? You wouldn't have any authority unless my father had given it to you, but he has. And he recognized Pilate's authority and he, and he, and just allowed, he kept himself in that position. And so Pilate, after talking to him, he found Jesus not guilty. He declared him not guilty, and then he had him over. He handed him over to be crucified, because the crowd had gotten so unruly, and several things were being said. He was trying to prevent a riot. Now Pilate probably would have thought he was a deciding factor, but actually Jesus was the deciding factor in that moment as well. You know, I several years ago, several years ago. Uh, the movie The Passion of the Christ came out. God, I just pray for her that you would help her, Father. Well, guys, they're going to they're gonna go ahead and help her. Um, the... Uh, there's a movie that came out several years ago with uh, called The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson. And there's a scene. There's a scene in that story uh, that, that it's actually not something that you uh, it's not something that you actually you see in the scripture, but it painted a picture of something that really just really kind of connected some dots for me is that there's a moment in time where where uh where uh where uh Jesus's mom runs up to him and again this is not something that's in the scriptures runs up to him and you see Jesus he he has the cross he's fallen down he sees her and he looks at her and a look of determination comes over his face and he shoulders the cross and he stands up and he says mother i go to make all things new and when I saw that, it connected some of the dots that I connected some of the dots that I've shared with you today. 
And I and just realized, you know, Jesus was trying to get there. He was trying to get there. That whole day, he was trying to get there because he knew that he needed to do that. He needed to die for us. And so, you know, why? what was some of his motivation in, in really wanting to go there? And I think, you know, the biggest motivation, because he really cared and he really loved us. He really cared and he loved the men and women that were around him at that time that he was really spending time with. <clears throat> Just the night before, he'd said, he'd said, uh, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And I've called you my friends. As he was going to the cross, he was thinking of them and he was thinking of us. And he was trying to get there. Now, uh, why did he have to die? Why did he have to die? Jesus, I want to look at something that Jesus said in John chapter 3. It says, he said, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You know, Jesus said, you know, I didn't come to judge the world. I didn't come to judge the world. Uh, I came to save it. And what he said is that really the world, the world is already under condemnation. The world is already in a real bad place. And so judgment wasn't needed. It was actually someone to save them from the judgment they were under. Uh, Isaiah in Isaiah 59 really paints a, he paints a picture of what that looked like. He said this, he said, behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. Neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So there's this, there's this division between us, between the life that God wants and really where we're really at and where the world was really at. And that's really what the world looked like when Jesus came into it. Where, you know, we're unhopelessly separated from him. I wanted, and there was a real penalty that had to be paid. I don't know about you guys. I, I used to love to read when I was a, when I was a kid, teenager. And one of the stories that I loved to spend time reading was uh, King Arthur. So I'd read a lot of King Arthur stories. And then uh, I saw there's, there's a movie that came out uh, back in the 60s called Camelot. It's a musical, so I never saw musicals until after I got married. But, uh, uh, but it's, a, it's, it's a fun musical. But there's a, there's a scene. There's a scene where uh, King, it's King Arthur and Queen Guinevere, hit the love of his life, has actually... Uh, had an affair with Sir Lancelot, and she's been condemned uh, as as for treason for violating the king's law, and so she's going to be executed. And he's standing in the, he's standing in this window, looking down on the courtyard where she's standing, ready to be executed. And he is so conflicted, he's so conflicted, uh, because she's really done something wrong, but he cares so much for her. And then the antagonist of the story, uh, one of the knights, Mordred. Kind of an evil guy. He comes over to to Arthur and he starts he starts just uh, just mocking him. He starts mocking him and he says, "What a magnificent dilemma." He said, "Let her die and your life is over. Let her live and your life's a fraud. Which will it be, Arthur? Will you kill the queen or will you kill the law?" And he just he painted that picture of of just what was at stake there. Well, I think that's, that's a, that's a great picture of where, of really where, where God was and where we, where we are. Is that God looks at that and He had a very different solution to the problem. 
You can, re- you can watch Camelot and you can see what Arthur did. But he had a very different solution to the dilemma. What he did is he came in the person of Jesus Christ and he took our place on the cross. And he paid the penalty so that we could really enjoy a relationship with him. And so I, w- I look at uh, something Paul said in Colossians chapter 2. And it's Colossians two thirteen and 14. It says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You know, back in those days, uh, when they did crucifixion, what they would do is they would write the, the charges against you on a plaque. And they would nail it to the top of the cross so that people would learn not to do what you did. And so you're walking along, and you look up, and you go, thief. Okay. Note to self, uh, do not steal things, because I don't want that to happen to me. Well, no, with Jesus, there was nothing to put on the plaque. In fact, Pilate just had written down there, he said he was the king of the Jews. There were actually no charges that were that were valid against Jesus. And what Paul says is that when we accept his offer of forgiveness, when we really put our trust in him, in Jesus... What happens is God takes everything we've ever done wrong in our lives and everything we're ever going to do in our lives, and he writes that down, and he nails it. It's been nailed to the cross. When Jesus died, those sins were nailed to the cross with him, completely paid for and completely taken out of the way. And so you know what, what, what God really wants to do is he really wants to forgive us our past. He wants to forgive us of every debt we owe. It may be emotional debts. It might be relational debts. It might just be any other, any of the other sins that we've committed, the things that we've done wrong. He wants to wipe those out and give us a brand new start. And that's why Jesus went to the cross for us. It was to pave that way. It was to pave that way so that we could actually come back to him. <clears throat> but if you go back to that Saturday night, after he was crucified and buried, his disciples and his followers we're still dealing with just a tremendous sense of loss and and emptiness and dealing with disappointment and heartache, anxiety, all kinds of things that they were dealing with. And so I know that all of us can really deal with, uh, really can relate to that as we also deal with many of those very, very same things. I'd like us to watch a video clip real quick and then I'll come back. Take a look at this.
Just think, just think of the joy that they begin to have, how things begin to really change in their minds. Um, you know, that through that whole day, read the, if you read the accounts, you'll see it's kind of a dawning awareness that happens. And there's some doubting that goes on. Uh, Thomas will remain nameless. No. Um, but there's, there's some doubting that goes on. There's verification. Uh, very similar to the lady in the story we talked about, like, well, prove that you're my son. You just want to make sure this is really, really true. And when they found out that it was, just think about, just think about how the, the heartache, the emptiness, the loss of vision, the loss of what it is they thought was really real in the world, how it came back. And they began to really understand that Jesus was really who he said he was. When Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a game changer. It proved that he was what he, who he said he was, that he was the actual son of God. And uh, in John, he said one, at one point, he said, uh, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own, my own initiative. And I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to pick it up again. I have the authority to pick it up again. That... Um, that authority is, you know, if, if the most amazing thing that Jesus ever claimed is that he could actually raise himself back from the dead is true, then everything he else said is valid. It, it, it put the stamp of validity on everything that Jesus was saying. And that we could be really forgiven of our sin was a major, major element of that. And we could have a clean slate. And it really proved that we wouldn't, he wouldn't, it really proved to his disciples they wouldn't just be following another dead teacher who had some good things to say. So, and that, you know, the, the resurrection is really the foundation, the foundation of the faith is that's, that's the event that changed everything. Now, before Jesus went to the cross, he opened a door into what that life could be like in the kingdom of God. And then he showed people what it looked like. And uh, by the, just the life he lived, he showed people really what that would look like. And he invited them to participate with him. And then when he died, when he died, that door seemed to close in the hearts and the minds of the people who were closest to him. It seemed like that door closed. And they felt like there was no future and no hope. And they were worried that they might simply be following a dead teacher, uh, following someone who just said to them good things, uh, like other faiths would. But the reason that Easter matters, the reason that Easter matters is that when Jesus rose from the dead, he not only opened that door, but he provided a way through that door into the life with him that God has always desired for us. And so it's, it's the forgiveness of sins is amazing. The forgiveness of our sins, it's, it's, the, it's the most amazing thing to hear. It's the most amazing thing to have true in your life. 
But what it does is it, it's the way in. It's the way into the life that God has always wanted for you. It's the way in to a life where you're really participating with Him in the world. And you're really moment by moment enjoying life with Him and living a life of purpose. Uh, in fact, in Colossians, uh, Paul says in Colossians 1, he says, For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As we've, when you accept Jesus' offer and forgiveness of sins, it transfers you into His kingdom. And boy, all bets are off. Your life can go somewhere. And God, you can really become who God really intended you to be. Uh, the, what you find, what we find is that the forgiveness of sins is, is really the gateway into the life of grace and peace and purpose that God really wants for us. That's really what was going on. So as we, as we wrap up today, uh, how do you respond to this in such a way that your sins are forgiven? And that you can begin to enter into the life that God really wants for you. How do we respond to that? Well, there's, there's two, two main words for doing that, and it's humility and surrender. Humility and surrender. If we, uh, let's take a look at Paul's, what something Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Humility, humility is just realizing and acknowledging that God is God and you're not. And just admitting your great need of him, your great need of his forgiveness, and really just admitting that you are where you're at. And then believing that he really is God is really crucial to that. And it really comes down to that fundamental belief that the resurrection really took place. When you come to him with that kind of humility and then you surrender to him, you give him his rightful place as the Lord or the boss of your life, then what happens is you pass from death to life and you move into the kingdom the kingdom of God and, and the life that God has always wanted for you. And you're born again into a living hope. And the future begins to open up instead of closing off. And it's, that is why Easter really matters. That's why... That's why uh, that's why we're here this morning. That's why, you know, many of us here in this room, this is this has happened in our lives and it's made all the difference. So next week, next week, we're, we're going to be looking more into the life that God wants for us and what it looks like. We're going to be looking more at that next week. And so really encourage you to come back for that for today. You know, like as you're as we're heading out today uh, at the end of the service. Some next steps that maybe you could go through. Um, you know, the resurrection is a historical event that can really be investigated. And so for maybe, maybe for you, it's, it's really spending some time just nailing down, did this really happen? Now, the book, there's a book that we were handing out, we mentioned earlier, called The Case for Easter. If, if where you're at right now is, you know what, I'm not sure I really know much about the resurrection and the, and the evidence that it really occurred. I would really ask you to grab one of those books on the way out. Whether you're a first-time visitor or not, if you'd like to, if that's something you feel like you'd really like to spend time with, grab one of those books and head out with it. Uh, and then maybe you've been considering this for a while, and you're actually at a place where you feel like that's really where you're at, ready to really accept God's offer of forgiveness. Then I'd really just encourage you just to accept the, His offer of forgiveness and make Him the boss of your life, and come to Him with humility and surrender to Him. 
And then maybe this morning, maybe something else has come to your mind. Maybe God has given you something else that he's really put in your heart that you really need to act on. I'd really encourage you to do that. So with that, I'd like to ask the band uh, to go ahead and come back up. Um, and then uh, as they come up, you can, uh, if you haven't finished filling out your connection card, you can go ahead and finish filling that out. Drop it in the offering when it comes by. And uh, I will pray for us and we'll, we'll continue with the service. Dear God, Father, just very grateful to you for what you've done and Jesus, what you did on the cross for us. God, thank you that uh, we're not alone and that we can really enter that door into the life you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.